two contrasting elements mark Christmas. Uh, One is the note of joy. Angels and shepherds singing. There's music and celebration. When I think of joy at Christmas, I think of children. If you have children or grandchildren or nephews or nieces, uh, or you work with children, you have neighbor kids, uh, there's nothing like children dancing around the Christmas tree in anticipation of Christmas and singing Christmas carols. Christmas carols, as Carrie found out, have some kind of difficult words and some unusual words we don't say very much, so it's easy for kids to get confused. I've heard singing, a kid singing, uh, instead of, while shepherds watch their flocks by night, they're singing, while shepherds wash their socks by night. When our youngest daughter, Erica, was little, uh, she couldn't say the letter X very well. And she'd say, I'm so excited for Christmas. Uh, a, a Sunday school teacher asked her students to draw a picture of the, the Christmas story. And uh, then they turned them in, and she was looking at them. Most of them were pretty normal stuff, you know, um, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus around the manger. Uh, One had uh, Mary on a a donkey being led into Bethlehem. But one was unusual, so she had him come forward and explain it. He had an airplane with four people looking out the airplane. She says, I kind of get it, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. But who's the fourth person? He says, oh, that's Pontius the pilot. There's joy at Christmas. You know this. Then there's an element of sadness. Maybe you lost a mom or dad, a husband or wife, a son or daughter this year. Maybe a marriage ended. Maybe you broke up with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Christmas without them leaves an emptiness in the heart. You know Christmas can be hard. It's sad to see that God sent his son into the world and so few people knew about it. King Herod serves as the leading example of this cause for sadness. Matthew writes, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. When Matthew wrote that Jesus was born during the time of King Herod, these were chilling words. To first century Jews. Herod was so wicked, he killed his wife and three of his sons because they, he thought they were conspiring to steal his throne. Shortly before his death, he rounded up all the leading citizens of Judea and put them, locked them up in the circus in Jericho. He ordered that they all be put to death upon his death. Why? He wanted there to be mourning upon his death, and he knew that no one would mourn for him. When the Hasmonean house rebelled against King Herod, he called in a favor from Caesar Augustus. He was chummy with him. And Caesar sent in the Roman soldiers, and they crushed the Hasmoneans and restored Herod, his throne. He prospered because of his relationship with Caesar Augustus. He had a palace in Jerusalem, He had a villa on the Mediterranean Sea in Caesarea with his own private harbor with his yachts. Matthew writes, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, 
Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. The Magi are looking for a king. They come to King Herod's house. Herod says, there's no baby boy born here. They're surprised. They expect to find him there. So Herod quickly gathers together his chief priests and asks them, where is the king of the Jews supposed to be born? When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. I'd like to reflect with you tonight on one verse. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Matthew tells us that Herod and all Jerusalem were disturbed to hear a newborn king had been born. Our text makes clear that the Herodians, the followers of Herod, the Sadducees and their scribes were all made aware of the birth of Christ. All Jerusalem was disturbed. They heard the news of Christ's birth. Though they were troubled, there's no record of any one of them moving a muscle to take the six-mile journey from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem. Why didn't they go? I'd like to reflect on this. Why didn't the people of Jerusalem go to see the newborn king? Why didn't the Herodians go? When the Magi, the wise men, came Why didn't Herod say, I'll go with you? The Pharisees were lay people. They didn't like the Herodians. They hated Herod. You would expect if anybody would go to see the newborn Jewish king, it would be the Pharisees. Why didn't they go? Or the Sadducees. They were the priestly party. They were the ones in power. Their scribes were the ones that told Herod that, Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. Why didn't they join the camel train? I'd like to suggest three reasons they didn't go. First, I think they were all too busy. There was much going on in Jerusalem. They couldn't leave at this moment. This was one of a series of Roman taxations. That's why Joseph and Mary came to Bethlehem for the census. Uh, This means that Romans, the Roman soldiers would have been out in force in Jerusalem. They couldn't leave. They just finished celebrating the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah. Feelings would have been high. Then there's rumor of this newborn king from a camel train of foreigners. They must have thought, how can we go now? We'll miss the important cocktail parties. There's the one for Uh, Caesar Augustus tomorrow night. And then the day after that, there's Herod's open house. And then the night after that, there's there's a party in honor of Pilate, the procurator in Judea. We must stay in Jerusalem to keep our relationship with Rome intact. Do you find yourself in the same trap? You're so busy keeping the day 
day-to-day operation of the business going, keeping the home going, keeping up with the kids, with all their school activities and their sports, that you don't have time to pursue something new, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You may have failed to come to Jesus, not because you're uninterested, but because you're too busy. Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol was confronted by the spirit of Christmas past. He shows him the girlfriend who left him because he would never bring up the subject of marriage. He was too busy. She says, you have another lover, a golden one. All he cared about was money. And so she left him. My son Mark served two tours of duty in Afghanistan. Every once in a while, he'd be on duty all night, watching over the camp. Suppose one night he saw an Afghan drive in on a motor scooter and leave a duffel bag by the perimeter wall. And he goes and he tells his sergeant, and his sergeant says, ah, don't worry about it. It's probably nothing. It's not worth our time to investigate. I mean, that's putting a lot of people in danger just because you don't want to bother to go investigate. A wise person would go to check it out to see if there's a bomb in it. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says he's the only way to a restored relationship with God the Father. This is too big a claim to leave uninvestigated. I mean, if you've never come to faith in Christ, have you ever investigated if he really is the son of God? As he claimed, he really was raised from the dead. My guess is that people did not go to Bethlehem because they were too busy. Then I think there's another reason they may not have gone. It's a deeper reason. They were afraid. They were afraid of each other. They thought to themselves, what will others think if we let on that we're concerned about the birth of a newborn king? We have to stay here and act calm, act like we're not concerned. Herod tried to act calm until he discovered that he was outmaneuvered by the Magi. Then he became extremely angry. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Apparently the star had appeared sometime before saying that God was doing something. Signaling that God was doing something big. It was going to be the birth of his son. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. That was a lie. He didn't give a rip about the worshiping the birth of the new child. It was just a ruse. Thankfully, God warned the Magi in a dream not to return to Herod. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem 
and its vicinity who were two years old and under. That's when the Magi said the stars began to shine. This is the note of sadness at Christmas. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah. That's where Bethlehem is. Weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. There's the note of sadness at Christmas. Herod is so afraid, he tries to stamp out every baby boy in Bethlehem so he can protect his throne. But God protected his son. He warned the Magi not to return to Herod, and he warned Joseph to take the baby Jesus and escape to Egypt. I think some of them were afraid of what this newborn king what it might mean if this is the Messiah and he was divine it would mean radical changes in their lives people are afraid of anything that comes into their lives that will mean major change C.S. Lewis in his book Silver Chair has a scene where Lucy comes into Narnia she's like seven or eight and she's going to meet Aslan the great lion the king of Narnia. It slips out during the conversation that Aslan is a great lion. She says, I don't know if I want to meet a lion. Is he safe? I'm a little nervous about meeting a lion. Mr. Beaver speaks up. Of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. But he's good. He's the king. Aslan is not a tame lion, nor can we tame Jesus Christ. We cannot reduce God to our own comfort and safety, but he is good. Many people are afraid of God. They've been sold a bad bill of goods about God and Jesus Christ. They've heard that you know, God just has all these commands, and he just wants to, he, he's a killjoy. But God loves us. He wants to give us life and joy. He's good. He gives only good gifts. He wants the best for you. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. He sent his son so that we could have life. If you give your life to Christ tonight or recommit your life to Christ tonight, and I'll give you an opportunity to do so in a few minutes, it doesn't mean you're entering into a convent or a monastery where you're going to have the joy sucked out of you. The longer I live, the more convinced I am that the most magnetic quality of a Christian is not faith. It's not even love. It's joy. Joy is like a magnet that attracts people to Christ. Followers of Christ find joy. Their sins are forgiven. They realize there's purpose in life. They know there's a God who loves them. One of the things that joy gives us is a sense of humor. It's nothing like a good sense of humor to get you through the day. It's like the oil that keeps an engine running. The other day, Jory said to me, you were really snoring last night. 
And Erica was standing right there, and she says, yeah, it was really loud. I heard you down the hall. She lives clear down the other end of the house. I said, did I sound like a pig? And they both said, yeah, like a pig. Then they laughed all over again. Jory and Erica laughed so much together. When Erica was in third grade or fourth grade, our son, our oldest son, Tad, was over. We were getting ready for Christmas. All of our kids were coming home. My mom and dad were coming home and, and, and uh, my sister. It was going to be a big group. And uh, Tad looked at the bathrooms and he said, the bathrooms are horrible. I'm not sure why you were at our house, Tad. Tad has a wife and a daughter. And, but anyway, he was over. And uh, Cam didn't want to touch the bathrooms. They were terrible. Jamie didn't want anything to do with them. So Tad says, I'll do it. So he got all the gear together for cleaning the bathrooms, put on the rubber gloves and was getting going. And all of a sudden, Erica showed up with rubber gloves on too. He said, do you want to help? She said, yes. He said, do you want to carry these towels down to the utility room? Yes. Do you want to spray the sinks and the toilets? Yes. Do you want to clean the toilets? Yes. And so she cleaned and cleaned. And after a while, she came to town. She says, I'm all done. He says, you're done? Is it clean enough for David to sit on? David's her older brother. She said, yes. Is it clean enough for Holly to sit on? That was David's, that's David's wife. She said, yes. She said, are they clean enough for you to sit on? She said, no. <laughs> no, not that good. Oh. Chances are you don't laugh enough. Chances are you don't see humor in your life. Chances are you take yourself too seriously. I think the people never went to Bethlehem for fear they might see something that would change their lives. Finally, there's a third reason. This one is the saddest of all. I think they didn't go to Bethlehem because they missed its significance. They were so enamored with the big city of Jerusalem that they assumed nothing of importance could happen in tiny Bethlehem. They were so convinced that important things only happen in the big city that they missed the grandest moment of the ages taking place just six miles down the road to Bethlehem. It's easy today to be blinded to the truth of who Jesus is. So we miss his significance. The apostle Paul tells us, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Our culture teaches us that the pursuit of God and Christ is silly. We're taught that what matters in life is how much money we have, what kind of job we have, how well we're dressed, what kind of shape we're in. If we listen to that guidance, we'll miss the significance of Christ. We'll make foolish decisions. The World War II Lady Be Good bomber was flown by a top flight flight crew. They were experienced and they'd just run a mission 
dropped bombs, and they were returning to their base. They had done that mission many times, so they knew about how long it took. The pilot and co-pilot sat there looking at their instruments, their radar, which told them when to land. And it was telling them correctly that it was time to land. What they didn't know, though, they said, this can't be. We can't be back yet. This is way too soon. What they didn't know is that they had a big tailwind pushing them through the air faster that night. And so they kept going and ignored their instruments. And finally, they ran out of gas. And the big bomber crashed. The crew all died. They found them miles into the desert past their destination because they followed their assumptions that proved proved to be dead wrong. Don't rely on your assumptions. They can be greatly misguided by the teachings of our age. Instead, trust Jesus Christ. Don't miss Bethlehem. Don't be too busy. Don't be afraid. The angel said to the shepherds, fear not, for I bring you news of great joy. Don't be afraid of God and don't miss the significance of Jesus Christ. Pascal wrote, a farmer may talk about the earth. A rich man may talk about wealth. A king can talk about royalty. And God speaks rightly about God. God said Jesus Christ is his son sent to save the world. So we can be forgiven and be restored to a right relationship with God again. You can be restored to a right relationship with God right tonight by giving your life to Christ tonight on this Christmas Eve. Let's pray. I'm going to lead you in prayer tonight. And if my words speak for you, I want you just to pray these to God. If you've committed your life to Christ, repeating after me silently to God is just a great way to recommit yourself to Christ and reaffirm what you believe. Dear God, you just silently repeat after me. Thank you for bringing me here tonight. I really didn't want to be here. God, I need you in my life. There are some things going on in my life that aren't going very well. And I believe that you are real. That there is a God. And I'm convinced that Jesus is your son. And that you raised him from the dead. And I want him to come into my life. And forgive my sins. And be the leader in my life. And God, I'm taking this seriously. I really want to follow Jesus. And so I'll do what it takes. I'll read the Bible. Look at the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll come to church. Or watch on the live stream. I'll try to get in a group where other people are trying to follow Jesus. So I can grow. So come into my life, I ask you, this Christmas Eve, in Jesus' name.